welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. As everybody finds their seats, I will introduce myself in case we haven't met. My name is Chris Kimston. I'm an intern here at Awaken. Uh, Micah, who um, our fearless leader, is in New York City with, uh, with Laura, his wife. They are there for a church conference, and so uh, we uh, wish and pray for good things for them in their travels and their time there. I am one of two interns here. Uh, Jenna is the other one whom you've already heard from, and Jenna just graduated with her seminary degree. So. Jenna, Jenna officiated a baptism for this morning for the first gathering, and so we got a chance to cheer for her then, but we didn't this one, so I just wanted to make sure that that happened. Four years of grad school is no, uh, no, no small task. I myself am two years into it, so I am feeling that length. Um, so um, we have, at Awaken, been talking about this post-Easter time. After Easter, what does that mean for us? We've had this wonderful experience, but how do we then go and lead outside of that? So, um, the question that we are looking at today is how do we lead others when we feel spiritually unqualified to do so? How do we lead others when we feel unqualified to do so? Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for each other. We thank you for family and friends, whether they are far away in places like New York City or as close as, as close to being next to us, God. I pray that we would feel your spirit move through us, God, and guide us into places where you'd want us to be. God, I pray for this gathering. I pray that anything that is of you, God, would be said, and anything that is not would fall away. In, Jesus, in the strong and loving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. I promise that I will get to scripture. The intern will not forget scripture. But first, I have a confession to make. So again, my name is Chris Kimston, and I am an angry driver. <laughs> I have road rage. It is, might, it might come as a surprise to some of you that know me or have interacted with me on some level. I am the happy-go-lucky Iowan of many groups that I run in. I am the golden retriever puppy of a lot of friend groups that I have. And I don't really deal with a lot of anger in other places in my life, but it's something about Twin Cities rush hour traffic or the fact that once the weather gets nice for the three weeks that it's nice in Minnesota, that, that we close down all of the interstates for, for uh, construction that happens at some point. And you can tell I'm holding a little bit of a grudge. There's just something about it that really gets me going and the thing, certain circumstances kind of multiply this. Fatigue, stress, it just, it kind of puts me over the edge. And so one example of this, my wife and I were moving into our, from our one bedroom, one bathroom apartment into our very first house a little over a year ago. And anyone who has ever moved knows that fatigue and stress are the definition, that's, that's what defines moving. And it was the end of a long day. Our house is about three trillion years old, and so we had to take off the doors and some railings to get things up and down stairs because washing machines did not exist back in 1900. And it was a stressful day, to say the least. My friend Matt and I were driving a U-Haul back to Burnsville where my in-laws graciously were helping us furnish this house. Like I said, long day. 
we're reaching, we pull up to what I like to consider the true test of faith to anyone, which is a four-way stop. Now, this four-way stop was empty for the most part. I pull up here, I come to a complete stop because that's what you do, and there's an individual who pulls up after me. Now, it is important for the stats of the story, if you will, if we're keeping track, it was my turn to go first. I didn't change this to make myself look better. I'm not exaggerating it for a purpose. It's just important that we all know in our hearts and in our minds that it was my turn to go first. <laughs> now, so I pull up and come to a complete stop. Now, since it's my turn, I release my foot off of the brake to start moving this elephant of a vehicle forward. And the person to my right does what I like to call the pump fake. Now, a pump fake in basketball is where you fake like you're gonna shoot and you provoke the other person to move um, kind of beforehand or, or early. That is exactly what happened here. We did that thing that you see where like we both go and we both stop, and we both go and we both stop. It happened like three or four times in a row. So we're waving each other on like, you go, and they're like, no, you go. And then this person gives me what I like to call the hand, which is different than the finger, it's more polite, but we all know what it looks like, the one hand on the steering wheel and this. And it's always accompanied with the face that's like this. <laughs> and it articulates, you don't know what's going on. Now, a lot of patience was given that day in moving, but that was it. That was my line. I said, if you think it is your turn to go, you are incorrect. But if you indeed persist that that is indeed the case, please proceed across in a timely fashion so that I can continue on my way. Now, those weren't exactly the words that I used. In fact, the words that I actually did use, now it wasn't out the window. It, this person didn't hear it. It was just in this, the cabin space, the safety of my own vehicle. But the words that I chose shouldn't be, should not only not be used in this holy setting, it shouldn't be used in a setting where people breathe air. Like, they, <laughs> not good. And I had completely forgot that my friend Matt, who is in seminary with me, is in the, in the seat next to me, and I kind of get rid of my tirade, and I look over, and Matt is sitting there just looking at me, and his eyes are open a little bit, his mouth is like kind of open, and we take a beat, and I look at him, and all I can say is, my bad, man, my bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> And so, I mean, we all have these things that we struggle with, right? Now, whether you're, you've claimed this whole Christian thing as your own or whether you're on just the point of the next step, we, we have this calling to, to kind of advance and try to, to, to take that next step in faith, to try to bring the love of God to the people around us. But there are parts of us that don't reflect the hope and love of Christ. Every once in a while, those things, they rear their ugly head. And you can say, Chris, you know, you really shouldn't use bad words, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm working on it. I learned how to swear from my grandmother, so a little grace. <laughs> they, uh, more than the bad words or whatever it might be for you, the problem's actually more emotional and spiritual. And the question is, how, does, how do we, as people who are called by Jesus to lead others. Micah's been talking a lot recently about leading in your own lane. You don't need to be a seminary student, seminary graduate, a worship leader, a pastor to, to bring that love of God. But the problem is, how do we as people who are led by Jesus to lead 
How do we do that when we so often have trouble? Or the question stated more simply, how do we lead others when we feel just spiritually unqualified to do so? Because my example was a little silly, uh, but it was just for story's sake, but for many of us, myself included, there are more serious things that we deal with. Maybe it's a family member that you say to yourself, you know what, this is gonna be the one year where cousin Ted doesn't get to me at the holiday dinner. I'm just gonna ignore him, I'm gonna take the high road, it's gonna be fine, but then you just end up screaming at each other over stuffing and Thanksgiving. Or maybe for you, it's, it's a coworker, it's that one coworker that you would rather quit your job than have to deal with that coworker. Or even maybe for you, it's a certain situation or a certain relationship that you, know, you feel like you've made all this personal advancement, you know what I mean, I'm just doing so well. But then whenever you find yourself in that setting or with that person, you just find yourself falling back into old habits. Now this is a problem that makes the conversation of the topic of leadership virtually useless if we don't talk about it. Because if we're honest, we feel it all the time. The question behind the question is, I want to, believe, I want to be a leader, but what if I'm not good enough? What if, what if Mike is wrong? What if, I, what if I need to be a leader, but I just you don't understand what I said in the car. You didn't hear me at that intersection. You didn't hear what I said to my cousin. You didn't see how I dealt with that coworker. Because aren't I supposed to be transformed? We're supposed to feel transformed and have this new life when we are taking these next steps in faith. But what happens when we feel like it's the same old us from before? What happens when we've maybe accepted Jesus or accepted the next step or whatever that happens to be for you and you're trying to follow and you're trying to be better but all of a sudden you feel like you're right back to where you started. Does that mean that you're not transformed? Does that mean you're not given a new life? Does that mean that we're not good enough? Does that mean we didn't do enough Christian things? I'd like to suggest this morning that we as a church often don't really deal with this very well. Because I'd also like to suggest that try harder is not a good enough answer. If someone does something wrong, well maybe you should just try a little bit harder, isn't necessarily gonna get the job done. Because you see, have you ever been shamed because of something you did outside of the church and you were ashamed inside of it? Has anyone ever made an assumption about your faith because of something they saw on Facebook? Have you ever been asked to leave a church or a church community. Maybe for you, you've been the one who has judged someone because of something that they've done outside of church. Maybe you saw something on Twitter that you said, oh, now I know a little bit more about that person's relationship with the Lord. <laughs> Have you ever wished that someone in church wasn't there? We're all guilty of these things. Because friends, this is why people leave church. I know our community is made up of, and I know a lot of folks in my own life, made up of people who have been hurt by the church, myself included, and have friends who have done that. And you, one of the reasons why they don't, why I ask somebody, you know, you know, you come to church and they say, listen, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't measure up. I just couldn't be that person, whatever that person is. So I think it's important then to look at 
what scripture might say about this. Our scripture verse for the day is Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 13. Thought I'd forget the scripture, but I didn't. Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 13. I invite you to stand as we always do whenever we read. I read the scripture for the day. It's up on the screen if you need it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Go ahead and have a seat. There's a lot said in the church these days about tax collectors. It's kind of a, like, a, like a hip thing to, to incorporate that. We know that they're bad guys, but there's not, I don't think we always have historical justice as far as, we don't do it historical justice as far as how it really was. So I invite you to close your eyes or simply imagine this with me. Imagine that there is a country that has taken over the United States of America. Not only have they taken over the United States of America, they've also taken over the state of Minnesota. And not only have they taken over the state of Minnesota, they have taken over your community. This group of people says, you are no longer an American, you are no longer a Minnesotan, you are no longer however you would identify yourselves, now you are part of us. And if you oppose us, we will ruin your stuff, we will steal from you. We might even hurt you or someone that you love to the point of death. If you oppose, just to make an example out of you. Now imagine that your neighbor starts coming to your door saying that he now works for them and that you owe them money. Not, and it's not only the amount of money that you heard was going to be asked of you, it's actually an extra amount because not only is he betraying your people, not only is he aiding in the persisting hurt that is being done to your people group, including murder and abuse, he is now stealing from you directly for himself. And feel free to open your eyes if they are closed. That is what tax collectors were. And I don't think we often get a good enough idea about how bad these people really were. So when Jesus is walking through and he points to Matthew mid-tax collecting, he's at his booth ripping people off. Jesus points to him and he says, you, we're going to your house for dinner. And his disciples are sitting at this dinner where all of these tax collectors, all of these types of people who are, who are doing all of these things to, to aid themselves and to hurt other people, they're sitting, Jesus and his disciples, disciples are looking around going, what are we doing here? Because already in the book of Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount, we have all of these teachings that's all about how we need to help the oppressed, we need to stand up for, on behalf of the people who are hurting, we need to stand up against those who perpetrate these terrible acts against each other. So they're thinking, this is gonna be awesome. Jesus is gonna stand up. He's gonna rebuke all these people. He's gonna make some sort of profound statement. He is going to perform some, maybe some sort of miracle. And then them, all of these outsiders, they'll be like us. He 
these insiders. They'll want to be like us, and it'll be great. But I'd like to say, in a book of Matthew, where there's so much of Jesus' teaching present, and no, we don't know everything that went on, but I think it's curious, the book does not have Jesus do any of that. The, the author actually has Jesus in a specific position of non-action. He's sitting. Now, could he have said something? Perhaps. But in a book that has all of these vast words of Jesus, Jesus, he's simply there. He's simply sitting there. He's simply being with these people. I'm not saying, and please hear me, that our actions don't have consequences because the things that we do have real implications for ourselves and for others. But if we look at the verse that everybody knows from the scripture passage, I'm here for the sick, not the healthy. Let's, if we look at what Jesus did for the sick, those, those people who are all around him, what did he do? He was there for them. I'd like to suggest that maybe there's something else highlighted here, something else that's going on, because Jesus looked at a sinner in Matthew, walked straight up to him, the worst of the worst, and said, I pick you. There was no transfiguration of Matthew. He didn't all of a sudden become a different person. He was in the midst of ripping off more people when Jesus said, we're coming to you. I'd like to suggest this morning that maybe leadership isn't the fact that we become perfect and then help other people become perfect as well. Because if you hear anything that I'm telling you this morning, one of the main takeaways I'd like to say is that sometimes leadership looks like choosing grace. Because we all need to be chosen. Leadership looks like choosing grace often because we all need to be chosen. I don't know if you're one of those people that didn't get picked for stuff. We always, we always put that on little kids. Were you one of those kids that didn't get picked on the playground? I was one of those kids. But maybe at work, it's something that, you know what? You just have this group of friends at work, and for some reason or another, you're just not in that group. Maybe you're passed up by your superiors. Maybe, maybe there's certain family members that you're just kind of the odd one out. We all need to be chosen Jesus looked at a group of uneducated fishermen and he chose them. He saw many outcast, broken people and he, these people who were sick, people that no one else would even touch and he healed them, he chose them. And in this case, he went as far as to choose the worst of the worst of humanity, at least in his culture. There was not one group of people that was more dangerous to the Jewish people, Jesus' own people, than tax collectors. He looked at the worst of the worst and he says that I choose you. We can lead friends amidst all of our worst times because we are led by a God that looks at you and sees you and says, I don't care who you think that you are. I don't care about the things that you've done. I know who you are, who you really are, and I am choosing you. You can say, yeah, but you don't, you don't know. I mean, really, I mean, it's nice, but Chris, your road rage isn't really that big a deal. You don't know what I've done, but we worship a God who does know. 
He sees you for who you are and says, I don't care who you think that you are. I know who you are. I don't care what you've done. I'm choosing you, and I will continue to choose you if you have it. Because there are days when I still will get frustrated on my morning drive. It will happen because traffic will still exist. I will still let it get the best of me sometimes, but I'm, I'm working on it. We'll go into a time of silence soon, and I'll invite the band uh, back up. But before that, I, I just like to say, I, I live in West St. Paul now, in the house. Don't worry, the doors and the railings and everything, they're all put back on now. They, and to go to work every morning, I go to work really early uh, in order to get there on time, and it used to be, my commute used to be in the dark, but now with the morning getting earlier and earlier recently, it's kind of corresponded with when the, the sun rises. And so I'm going over the Smith Avenue High Bridge for anybody that knows it, and it's this beautiful landscape of, of, uh, of St. Paul. You see the river, you see the whole cityscape, and the sun just hits it just right, and it's just gorgeous. And I was missing it because we were backed all the way up. I was seething mad, and then all of a sudden I just turn and I see it. And it hits me because what happened was that here we all are at the most stressful time in the morning in one of the most populated cities in the state. Everybody just is a ball of stress in that area. And yet, here's the sunrise shining on the city as if God is pointing to it saying, I know who you really are and I am choosing you. He continues to choose us to be his people. So may you, friends, know that you are chosen. The invitation is there to accept that you are more than your shortcomings, to accept it so that we know that we can lead despite our faults because God chooses all of his people. And we can lead because God chooses us. We'll go into a moment of quiet contemplation now. We invite this uh, at Awaken every week. This is a time to pray, to perhaps contemplate. So maybe one question if you're having trouble thinking is, what is keeping me from believing that I can bring God's love into the world? I want to be a leader, but blank. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together. We thank you, God, for being a good father that tears down the walls that we put up against you, God. I pray that we would see those things for what they are, that we might live with open hearts and open hands, that we might receive the spirit and the love and the peace and the joy that you have for us, God. Even when it's hard, God, most of all this morning, I pray that that grace would be extended to ourselves. When we fall short, God, help us to see ourselves and each other the way that you see us. Friends, receive this benediction. May you know that you have a good, good father. May you know that you are made 
in the image of the good Father and that that goodness is in you. May you, amidst your darkest personal times, see that good in yourself. May you know that you indeed are chosen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.